it's the scenario no one wants to ever face or have happen, but must be prepared for. Mass shootings at schools have become a national crisis. The tragedy of injury and death from these terrible events leaves families and communities grieving and torn apart. What are the best ways to keep students and staff safe? How are Alaska school officials working to ensure school facilities are secure? We'll discuss safety for our most important and often most vulnerable citizens, Alaska's children, today on Talk of Alaska. Talk of Alaska is brought to you in part by your local public radio station. Alaska's unique approach to mental health funding is improving the lives of Alaskans who experience behavioral health conditions and developmental disabilities. The Alaska Mental Health Trust Authority has a responsibility to generate revenue from its one million acres of land and the resources they contain. The trust uses this revenue to help fund statewide programs and initiatives that positively impact trust beneficiaries. To learn more, visit alaskamentalhealthtrust.org. This message sponsored by the Alaska Mental Health Trust. The views expressed on this program are those of the participants and not necessarily those of Alaska Public Media, this station, or its underwriters. Hello, it's Talk of Alaska. I'm Lori Townsend. Even discussing the danger of someone entering a school with loaded weapons is difficult and induces anxiety. But to help prevent future injuries on school properties, planning, preparation, and training are crucial. Where are there examples of schools who have instituted the best methods for securing school buildings as well as keeping students out of harm's way if a disturbed person with a gun does gain entry? Here to discuss the steps that have been taken to keep students safe is Ashley Lolly, the Director of Security and Emergency Preparedness for the Anchorage School District, and Rob Holland is also on the line with us. Rob is the Senior Director of Maintenance and Operations for the ASD, Anchorage School District. In the studio with me today is Tom Koloski. He is the Protective Security Advisor for the state through the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, or CISA, which is part of Homeland Security. We'll learn more about that in a couple of minutes. And you can also join us. Do you have questions about how to best protect students and teachers in your local schools? Has your local school or district made changes to school buildings to ensure security? What do you think can and should be done to better keep kids safe while they're getting an education? You can call us statewide at 1-800-478-8255. That's 1-800-478-8255. If you're in Anchorage, the local number is 550-8422, 550-8422. You can also email us, talk at alaskapublic.org. So, Ashley, um, start us off with a, an overview of the safety features that exist currently within Anchorage schools. Sure. Good morning, Lori. Thank you for having me today. Um, We do many things at the schools um, that is on the physical security side. So that's things like uh, cameras. Um, We have over 3000 cameras all throughout the school district and all of our schools. Um, We are working on implementing access control, which is moving from keys um, to keyless entry in our buildings. And then of course, um, most people are familiar with our secure vestibule projects um, that we are currently installing and will continue to install. Um, And Rob has a few more details if he wants to talk more specifically about the secure vestibules at our elementary schools. Sure. Hi, Rob, please uh, help us better understand that. 
Okay, sure. Thank you, Lori. So the concept of a se secure vestibule uh, goes beyond the the uh, practice of having all of our perimeter doors locked, which which they are in elementary schools uh, during the course of the instructional day. And what it does is it hardens the entry uh, of a school. And, and the, the way that works is there's an outer door and an inner door that can be operated with a fob for a staff member uh, to swipe in and out. Those doors are locked uh, during the instructional day. And that is built off of the office area. So there's direct line of sight uh, from the administrative personnel in the office. And those individuals can engage a member of the public via the camera and intercom system uh, to, to uh, find out who that person is and can choose to buzz them into the building or not. Um, also, it operates one door at a time. So there's an order of operations to this, right? So the front door can be opened, but the uh, inner door does not automatically open with the front door. And then the individual can be directed into the office, um, again, electronically. So that's the basic premise. Now, um, if a suspicious character, uh, someone behaving erratically, um, were to approach the outer door, not only would the staff not unlock the door, but they also have the opportunity to press uh, a button in the office. Uh, sometimes it's referred to as a panic button. It's an alert button that is wired uh, in directly to APD and would alert those officials that there's a need to, to respond to the school right away. So there's a, it's kind of layers uh, of security there that give the office personnel control via locked doors uh, to limit public access. Thank you for that overview. And uh, as we know, Anchorage voters did not approve a school bond earlier this spring that would have funded security improvements for additional elementary schools, uh, about a dozen of them, I believe. So what is the, is there another plan or how are you um, thinking that you'll be able to possibly address some of these security concerns at the other schools without that bond money? Well, um, we will have another opportunity to, to bond for these. Uh, just to be, to be clear about that, we have every intention of putting more secure vestibule projects on the next bond. And that's because uh, for the last several years, roughly four years, secure vestibules have been a very big priority for the district. And they continue to be a priority at the very top uh, of our list along with some other deferred maintenance projects. So we have every intention of, of continuing to push those out uh, at the top level of our bond proposals. All right. <clears throat> oh, excuse me. Thank you very much, Ashley and Tom, for starting us off. Or I mean, Ashley and Rob for starting us off. Tom, I'm going to turn to you now. Thank you for your patience uh, in the studio here with me today. Give us an overview of the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, or CISA, and the range of security services that you provide to the public. 
Thank you, Lori. And I really appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to to be on the show today and to talk about this. Um, a lot of people are, are very familiar with some of our sister agencies within the Department of Homeland Security, um, and they're still learning about the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency, also referred to as CISA. Uh, we were formed in, in 2018 when a number of long-running programs within DHS were consolidated uh, into a, a single agency that is responsible for protecting our critical infrastructure by partnering with and advising our state, local, and tribal government partners, our private sector partners who are owners and operators of critical infrastructure. And of course, as when we talk critical infrastructure, schools are always a, a very important part of that. So specifically related to school safety, CISA has a school safety task force, which among other things, it administers what's called schoolsafety.gov. That is a single kind of a one-stop shopping for all school administrators and educators for resources and assistance uh, with it, in evaluating and improving their, their security measures at their school. And again, that's a collaboration across all of the federal government, Department of Homeland Security, Department of Justice, Department of Education, Department of Health and Human Services, all um, collaborate and, and, and publish things to that schoolsafety.gov website. If the information that, that an educator or administrator is looking for is not there, there are links out to the agency websites for other resources that are uh, hosted by each agency. In addition to that, what CISA has done is developed uh, a couple of, of resources and then providing some other services specifically for school administrators and educators. One of the most important ones right now is we've just republished our K-12 through school security guide. It is uh, It basically uh, gives the methodology that a school administrator can, can use to evaluate their school and develop a school safety plan um, based on what we know that every school is unique. They have different backgrounds, different geographic locations, um, different resources available. So it, it gives them the methodology to help develop something that's tailored and specific to their school. And one of the other resources I'm partnered with that guide is a school safety or a school security assessment tool. It's an online tool that an educator or administrator can use to help basically assess the current uh, security measures they have at their school, and it gives them uh, to identify where they may have some vulnerabilities, and it gives them different uh, options they can consider to try and mitigate those vulnerabilities and try and uh, give them a, a list of things that they can do or options that they can, they can implement to try and improve their overall uh, security at the school. Thank you very much, Tom. Um, I've got another question for you in just a moment, but I want to remind folks that this is Talk of Alaska, and today we're talking about school security and school safety. 1-800-478-8255 is the number statewide. If you'd like to join our conversation, if you have questions or comments, 1-800-478-8255. In Anchorage, the local number is 550-8422, 550-8422. You can also email us, talk at alaskapublic.org. So uh, as you mentioned, Tom, you provide a wide range of services, not just to schools, but to mm. other um, public buildings and facilities. But specific to schools and school security, we'll link to schoolsafety.gov. Um, and uh, as you said, that lays out a number of ways to enhance school safety. Part of this relates to guidance developed by the U.S. Secret Service National Threat Assessment Center to help schools develop violence prevention plans for threat assessments. Tell us about what's involved in these assessments, and is it an actual threat that prompts one, or is this designed to be proactive for schools? 
Yes, it's it's designed to be very proactive that it, so that a school can basically assess, even if they don't, don't feel that they have a, a current threat, they can assess what security measures they have and develop a, a system of processes that can enhance their, their security. Kind of what uh, Rob referred to earlier is having the different layers of security of this is the, the perimeter of our school grounds, this is the access to the school itself, these are the mechanisms that we have internal to the school that control uh, access to, to different areas. So those are something that every school should should uh, should walk through those steps and that methodology to to assess. Some of the other things we also provide are is, is training uh, tar- uh, focused to educators and uh, administrators on how to develop that school security plan, and also at at the closer level, how to try and assess. Uh, someone who might be on what we refer to as the pathway to violence. And you, you mentioned the, the, the Secret Service um, uh, contributions there. The FBI has been, been very engaged in this space to try and look at some of our historical events that have happened and figure out if there's ways that we can identify someone who you know, is maybe having ideations before those ideations become to action. So how do we disrupt someone, not necessarily in a, in a, a negative or disciplinary way, but get them back on the right track get them off that path to violence. So that's all something we wrap up into our, our uh, training for, specifically for the, the educators. And make sure that if someone is having mental health concerns, that they're getting the help that they need before things escalate. We are going to go to the phones. Keith is in Anchorage. Hi, Keith. Hi there. Did you well, have a question? I think you pretty much just covered what uh, I was going to suggest is that a friend of mine's wife is a profiler at the airport, and that's what she does is watches traffic through the airport to try to identify threats. Interesting. So she's watching people actually inside the airport? Yes. Okay. So, uh, I don't know. They just, we're just talking about all the cameras that were in the schools, and if we had somebody like that or a team of people like that watching those cameras that could maybe identify somebody who had issues. Yeah, and um, thank you for the call, Keith. It does sound, uh, f- from uh, the way Rob was discussing it, that that is what's happening. The cameras are outside so they can see someone approaching and uh, assess uh, what may be about to be the reason for them wanting to enter the school. Rob, as the head of maintenance and operations for ASD, do you do threat assessments for each school that encompass both cyber and physical threats? Yeah, so um, on the cyber side, I, I would defer to to Ashley. Um, there, there is a system in in use for that. Uh, physically, we do assessments at schools, um, which has to do with the portals of entry to those schools and the use of cameras. The, the continual upgrading of those camera systems uh, so that they, they are the, you know, the latest version of, of high density and where they're not, those are, those are being upgraded until every camera is. So, so we're continuing to work with the building envelope and our surveillance system. And uh, Ashley could provide some, some detail about the cybersecurity. And yeah, um, so to talk about some of the um, systems we have, one is called Gaggle which is a Google product and it monitors um, all ASD network um, Google products that students may use, which for them is anything on the drive. So any Word documents or Excel, um, any chat features. So that is monitored 24 seven. And then 
if something alarming pops up, um, we automatically get alerted to that. Um, most of those are um, self-harm alerts. We get nudity alerts. And then of course, any threatening messaging. Um, and there's a process in place for what the response to those notifications look like. Um, and then starting next school year, we are implementing an anonymous 24 seven tip line as well. Um, that's an app, it's a phone number. And then we also, um, as part of that product, we get a phone number that anyone can call staff or students and they will be connected to 24 seven support with a certified counselor. So if they were actively in crisis, they have someone to talk to immediately um, until we're back and get those notifications and can connect with the student or the staff as well. One thing I heard in talking to someone about this earlier today was um, a, uh, a thought from this person about ensuring that all doors are always locked um, and that there's only one point of entry. Now, I'm assuming, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that all of the any kind of side doors would be self-locking. As soon as they close from the outside, you're not able to just walk in that door. But if someone, if it's a hot day or something's going on and they propped a door open, are there alarms that would let you know that that's, that's a compromised uh, point of entry? Probably a question for Rob. Sure, yeah, Lori. Um, that's a great question. First of all, uh, starting with the building perimeter, when we say that the doors are locked um, at these elementary schools during the instructional day, we do mean the entire perimeter of the school, okay? So any, any portal of entry into that building envelope. And, and yes, so for instance, uh, teachers take, take their classes out to recess, for instance, and come back. And so um, those, they have, they have FOB access for those schools that have been upgraded to FOBs or traditional key access to the doors. And <clears throat> we do rely on people being vigilant, right? So I, I guess I would use this as a segue to, to remind everybody that one of the things that we always push out in training is that um, any security system, while it may be very robust by design and in practice, we rely on people um, staying on task, right? I, I guess the term keeping your head on a swivel, uh, remembering to check that door behind themselves. That's all part of a culture of security awareness that we that we push out and and I think that the recent events in Texas um, continue to remind us that we will be ever vigilant in that narrative we don't just say that we talk about that once a year in annual training and then we drop it so we are already discussing ways to continue to push out that training um, in, in different ways different written and and uh, email and, and signage, uh, because the goal is to always keep those doors locked behind us. Yes. Absolutely. 1-800-478-8255 is the number statewide. If you'd like to join our conversation today, if you have questions about school security in your community, 1-800-478-8255. In Anchorage, the local number is 550-8422, 550-8422. You can also email talk at alaskapublic.org. 
On the line with us today are Ashley Lawley, the Director of Security and Emergency Preparedness for the Anchorage School District, and Rob Holland is the Senior Director of Maintenance and Operations for ASD. Tom Koloski is in the studio with me today. He is the Protective Security Advisor for CISA, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency within the Department of Homeland Security. Ashley, the school in Texas had its own police force. How does a scenario like that differ or compare to the school resource officers, SROs, that are within ASD? Um, Yep. So as you mentioned, um, Texas has, and this is common um, throughout most school districts in Texas, where the police force is actually part of the school district. Um, And that differs for us here whereas we have an MOU, a Memorandum of Understanding, with APD for their SRO support. Um, And I think part of what played into the chaos on scene in Texas was that question of jurisdiction. Who had jurisdiction over the event? Was it the school district police? Was it the local police? Was it border patrol when they arrived on scene? Um, And here in Anchorage, luckily we don't have that same issue because (laughs) APD has jurisdiction at all ASD buildings. Um, So that's a key difference to distinguish there with what happened in Texas. Are SROs, um, school resource officers, armed when they're at school? They are, yes. Okay. Ashley, you gave a presentation um, earlier this month to the school board to go over takeaways from the Texas tragedy. I listened to part of that presentation. Before you described for the board the safety lessons, you had the board members read the names of the Texas students and staff. Why did you ask them to do that? Um, Unfortunately, this is not the first presentation I've had to give um, about a school shooting event. Um, And I started to do every presentation with the victims for a few reasons. One, I believe that We need to continue to keep the victims of these tragedies at the forefront of our minds at all times. Um, Two, it's a way to to bear witness to the victims of these tragedies and to just uh, make sure that our guiding light for all decisions that we make is so that we never have to do that here for our own students. You walked through the timeline of the shooting. What do you learn by studying these details in the, of the lead-up to these um, tragedies? Um, yeah, doing a, a deep dive into these events, I have found to be um, both critical but also helpful. Um, every, every time we've done one, we've had takeaways that have um, improved, I think, our processes Um, We've created training based on needs that have come out, um, starting as recently as the Oxford shooting, which was around um, Thanksgiving last year. Um, So with with this one specifically, I will say this one was really difficult to get accurate information. They are all always difficult in the beginning to get accurate information, Um, but this one was a little bit more difficult. It was a little harder, um, and I think a lot of that was due to the the chaos on the scene. But for us, it's what can we do here that we already don't do or that is on our roadmap and maybe we have to reprioritize that. Um, And in terms of Texas, what the district can do is one, clarifying the roles of SRO, put put our community members' minds at ease that um, one, as I said, they have jurisdiction at all of our schools, but two, APD trains on solo entry. 
Um, that is their policy and it's not just our SROs, the entire department trains on solo entry, which means that they do not wait for backup before entering a building if there's an active shooter event ongoing. Um, and then two, I would say the other biggest takeaway and Rob um, already spoke to this a little bit is just general security posture, um, keeping safety at the forefront of all of our minds at all times as we're operating uh, within a school. Um, so that's things like just being vigilant about wearing your staff ID badge, um, offsite staff who, who aren't normally in that school building, making sure that they're checking in with the front office. So the front office knows that, hey, these ASD personnel are, are doing work on scene today, um, not propping doors open, just that um, security posture that we're really trying to uh, frame our minds around. And, and really it's a whole community effort to keep our schools safe. And I think that's important to, to notice as well. Absolutely. And this is really a question for all of you. And Ashley, let's uh, hear from you first. And then uh, Rob and Tom, it'd be great to have you weigh in too. When you think about Alaska compared to the rest of the United States, are there things that make you more or less worried about a school shooting here? Um, sure. I mean, I think it's, um, I'm not surprising anyone by saying the amount of weapons that we have up here is more than other places. And I think that that's important just as a general awareness for our community and for our staff to have. Um, one takeaway that we've had from the Uvalde shooting and, and not just that one, other ones as well, um, is reintroducing basic firearm safety instruction to our staff. We're gonna start with our principals and then maybe open it up to others as well. Um, it's just a fact of life that there are weapons up here and uh, teachers and principals want to feel empowered in terms of knowing what to do if they happen to come across one. And it may not be in the event of any type of violent intruder or any type of event at a school, but um, we've found firearms just on school grounds before. And we want people to know what to do with that and to feel comfortable um, in the event that they come across one. Rob, would you uh, like to reflect on that a bit? Yeah, I, I think the most salient point that Ashley made there was about the, the, the percentage of guns in the population. But I'll add one that's, uh, that's um, kind of interesting and unique to Alaska. We actually have a lot of uh, moose and bear encounters on school grounds, particularly in the spring. And, and, and that leads to um, some temporary stay put, some, some calling of, of uh, wildlife officials, et cetera. Pretty common. And I think that's very unique to where we live. But what I wanted to say about that is, I think that that actually helps keep us all on point, including those playground attendants, et cetera, during the instructional day that I used the term earlier, keep your head on a swivel. So I think that actually, I, I would say, gives us a bit of an advantage is that we're kind of used to keeping our eyes peeled. So I just wanted to add that. Mm -hmm. And and Tom, um, thoughts from you. Uh, we haven't had a... Uh, major school shooting in Alaska since 1997, probably before any one of our guests today started their careers here, but that resulted in two people dying at the high school in Bethel. And because of that long trajectory, I'm wondering uh, if that's been discussed, if there's, you know, if there were lessons learned at that time that have been employed in the state. And Tom, I know you haven't been here that long, but First, give us your thoughts about comparing Alaska to the rest of the country, and then maybe Ashley or, or uh, Rob can weigh in about the, 
the Bethel incident? Well, from a federal level, we recognize that every school is unique and has kind of a different uh, posture they need to be at. Here within Alaska, looking across the state, we have different challenges out in some of our remote, more remote communities than we do in some of our more urban communities. Specifically, when you have a small community where the school becomes the center and the heart of the community. It's not just a school. It is also, you know, sometimes used as a washeteria, as a, as a community gathering place, as the community center. So there's, there's different challenges out there uh, as far as limiting school access, setting up the, those layered policies to where in addition to the, 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 the locks and the access that we have during the school day, how do we change that in the evening when the school has to form a, uh, for, uh, fulfill a different role? Uh, additionally, uh, Ashley talked about working very, very closely with local law enforcement. Uh, again, we highly encourage that anytime a school is developing a, a school uh, security plan, it is coordinated their emergency action. Uh, plan portion of that is very closely coordinated with local law enforcement. That can be a real challenge out in a rural community that doesn't have a robust law enforcement. Uh, or so hopefully, any law enforcement at all. Possibly. And, and so that, that becomes a challenge for the community uh, the, the, the city leadership, the tribal council, the VPSO, if they're fortunate enough to have one, to really come together to discuss how would we respond to and stop an incident like this in our community. So different challenges um, even, even within the state, um, but we, we, we recognize and support that and try and give a, a methodology that can be used applied to lots of different situations. And I, I did want to note that we did reach out to rural school districts. I was hoping to get a, an official on from rural Alaska to talk about those very issues. The fact that it is a balancing between, I know I've visited um, communities in rural Alaska where the school is very much the community center. There's big pots of coffee on because elders are coming by often. And that's a wonderful thing. But it also does present um, some concerns mm -hmm. that if that door is, is open and you want to be inviting to the community, but you also want to be safe, especially in communities where you can't just call 911 and expect someone to be there. It might be hours or potentially days before uh, law enforcement can get there. We are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll continue our conversation about how to keep kids safe and staff safe in Alaska schools as Talk of Alaska continues. Talk of Alaska is brought to you in part by your local public radio station. If you're hurting in your relationship or have been affected by sexual violence, Strong Hearts Native Helpline is a free 24-7 confidential and anonymous domestic, dating, and sexual violence helpline for Alaska Natives. Help is available by calling or texting 1-844-7-NATIVE or using the chat icon at strongheartshelpline.org. This message is sponsored by the Strong Hearts Native Helpline. Welcome back to Talk of Alaska. We're discussing school safety and keeping students and staff safe as uh, we wrap up the year for school, but summer school will be in session. We'll talk a little bit about that in just a bit. 
In the uh, studio with me is Tom Koloski, who is the Protective Security Advisor for CISA, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency within DHS. And on the line today is Ashley Lolly, the Director of Security and Emergency Preparedness for the Anchorage School District, and Rob Holland, who is the Senior Director of Maintenance and Operations for ASD. You can join our conversation if you have questions or comments. 1-800-478-8255 is the number statewide. 1-800-478-8255. If you're in Anchorage, the local number is 550-8422. 5508422 you can also email us talk at alaskapublic.org Ashley or Rob any thoughts about the shooting that happened in 1997 and what was learned after that time that may have been incorporated into school security plans uh, going forward Yeah um I can start real, real quick I think the biggest takeaway for me anyway, from that event is that uh, multiple students were aware of his intentions and no one brought that forward. Um, And we've seen that with several of these events. Most of these events, um, it's evident that they are starting to build up to some action. Um, You heard Tom mention the pathways to violence. We talk a lot about that at the district as well. Um, You know, if students are reaching out with their intentions, whether that's photos or actual messaging, um, we try to really build a culture around our students. Um, Really, it's it's just the see something, say something model, hear something, say something. Um, And a huge part of that is just building those school communities where students feel comfortable and um, that they have a trusted adult that they can go to about anything that may concern them. Um, It's really that prevention piece, preventing something from even happening in the first place. Um, And I know Rob was actually on scene um, in Bethel when that event occurred, so he could probably speak to that as well. Rob, um, I guess uh, I was mistaken when I said your careers probably don't go back that far. So what can you tell us about what was learned at that time? Well, Lori, I'm older than I sound. <laughs> so, what, um, yeah, I happen to, um, this will sound strange, but I often forget about it, including today until it's brought up. But I was on, on campus there that day. And so I'd like to relate um, the difference between external and internal threats as related to this. Ashley um, described very accurately um, the young man at the time who was a student at Bethel High School, of how he had interacted, how he had really telegraphed this. And um, I kind of tracked on that information a lot after the event, including talking to, you know, starting by talking to local people there uh, to try to understand it, right? Because it left quite an impact. And we talk about, we talked earlier today in the program about how we, how we harden the perimeter and how we are, how we are creating these secure vestibules in elementary schools. In elementary schools, it's a, it's a fact that almost all violence and shootings like we saw in Texas are external threats to that school community. They do not originate from someone inside the school. Whereas in high schools, like what happened in Bethel, it's almost always the result of an internal threat. And so that's a point that that should not be lost on this. And I just wanted to kind of drive that point home is that 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 shooting um, back in 97 here in Alaska uh, just really, really 
started my awareness of that concept of internal versus external threats. All right. Thank you. Uh, we're going to go back to the phones here. Lisa is in Anchorage. Hello, Lisa. Hi. Yes. Um, I just wanted to touch back on something you mentioned a little bit earlier in this program about the systems, uh, the protection uh, for the schools is only as good as those that are implementing it. So what happens if, uh, you know, the, the teachers have to stay vigilant, but, you know, human nature tends to become complacent over time. So what happens if a teacher does make a mistake? Does this mean they're going to be held liable? Can they be sued? Mm. Well, we probably we don't have attorneys on today, so I don't know if that's a, a question that uh, the folks that we have here. It's an interesting question. Um, I don't know if uh, anyone has an idea about that. Does anyone know what the... Well, unfortunately, we're seeing something like that play out uh, uh, regarding the Oxford shooting. There is uh, some, some ongoing litigation right now uh, questioning whether or not the, you know, the actions that were taken uh, by the, the school administrators and the, and the teachers in that, that case. But what we really recommend there is making sure that the school has a laid out plan. Okay, this is how we would, would convene an assessment team if we think that if we have indications that someone may be on the path to violence, these are the different options we can consider to, to correct them, to get them off that path in a way that might not be disciplinary or, or something they can recover from if it's appropriate, uh, and and just develop that ahead of time and have that coordinated and prepared and stick to that plan and make sure they execute it. One of the things that we find when 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 not only schools, but communities go through that process is that they know who, as, as uh, Ashley already alluded to, who has the jurisdiction, who has the responsibility to put the school in lockdown, who has the ability to make those decisions. And then it, once the, the, the school has that plan laid out, they can go ahead and follow that. And, and it's much easier to, to follow and also kind of enforce and ensure that people are doing the right thing. Ashley, we've um, noted a few times that elementary school doors are locked during the school day. And as Rob was talking about earlier, in high school, the threat um, is often starts internally. And in elementary schools, it's an external threat. School doors on elementary schools, as you noted in the school board presentation, are unlocked during the time when students are arriving and the time when they're leaving. So who is, what's happening during that time when things are a little more vulnerable to make sure that you're aware of who's going in and going out the doors? Um, yeah, that's a good question, Lori. Um, in my experience, and I spent some time um, this last school year actually being out at schools and doing some subbing, so I was able to see it firsthand. Um, and in my experience, one, uh, the principal was always outside greeting all the students right at the front door, right before um, they enter. And then two, there's also numerous staff, whether that's um, teachers for each individual classroom or done by grade level um, and TAs that are out there to welcome the students and walk them to the class. And then essentially do the same thing at the end of the day. The principal was at the very front door um, saying goodbye and the teachers were leading their students out of the building um, into their buses. Um, so even though the doors are unlocked at those times, they are very well manned. Um, and you know, part of going back to that security posture, um, all those staff members just kind of keeping an eye on the parking lot and parents pulling in and buses pulling in um, and saying goodbye to their students. 
Um, so it's always monitored, I guess, is the key, the key word there. Good, good. That's I'm sure that will be reassuring for parents and grandparents and others who are concerned about safety to hear. A question for all of you, and Rob, maybe you can start us off here. I saw an editorial over the weekend that said, given the number of horrific shootings at schools going back decades now, why aren't schools treated like courthouses or government facilities when it comes to external security? So, Rob, what would heightened security to the level of um, government facilities, is that even possible at for schools? Well, let's talk about a continuum, really. Uh, so on, on one end of that continuum, you have no security. On the other end, you have the type of security you would have in a, in a courthouse. Um, and I think we should talk about community goals. We really don't want our schools to become prisons, right? Um, and, and then what's practical. So we are moving on that continuum toward much heightened security, as we've discussed with, with hardening our entryways. Uh, we do have the SRO officers um, that, are, that are stationed out of high schools and interact with feeder schools in each area. Um, and so I think, I think, plus continuing to train staff uh, and have the other, the other like the cybersecurity and so forth that Ashley spoke about. I think we're, we're doing what we need to do in that respect. And most importantly to note here is we need to continue building these out. So we need to finish the process, of course, of adding secure vestibules, which is well underway at all of our elementary schools. And I, I really do think in that respect, we have the level of security that is entirely appropriate for a public school. Uh, Tom, your thoughts uh, about that idea, as, as Rob said, it's a continuum from nothing mm -hmm. to uh, a very heavy-handed approach. What would you advise for both strengthening security at schools that um, when you go in and do an assessment, what, what do you look for? for vulnerabilities and um, and then how, what are your thoughts about something that secure that, you know, when I go to the courthouse, you're not gonna get in there until you go through a metal detector and 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 uh, talk with some police officers that are at the door. Mm -hmm. And uh, a couple things. Number one, Rob hit it right on the head. It is a continuum. And when we look at physical security across all sectors, uh, not just schools, one of the things that we always uh, uh, promote to the, the, the owner operators or the administrators of that facility is finding the right balance for their facility. And so it's really about finding that balance, making an appropriate risk decision so that, yeah, yeah we, we can't really turn our schools into bunkers. And, and our educators know that. And so what we try to do through the assessments that we do, through our, our resources like that, that K-12 uh, security guide, is inform the administrators so that they're making that risk decision at the appropriate level and saying, okay, these are the these are the options for mitigation here that make sense to do either these physical things as far as control of the doors, to do these policy things as far as how we're going to vet people and, and, and visitors who come up. And, and, and these are the things that, that make sense and are not going to impact but the livelihood of the, uh, and, and the, the education of the students. You know, it's not going to make them scared to go to school. Mm. It's going to make them feel safe. And so that's, that, that's different for each, each facility, whether it's in Chugiak or it's in Queethluck. So we try and, and just give them the methodology so that principal and that, that, uh, that SRO can, can combine and kind of make that appropriate decision. 
All right. 1-800-478-8255 is the number to call statewide. 1-800-478-8255. In Anchorage, the local number is 550-8422. 550-8422. You can also email us, talk at alaskapublic.org. We're going back to the phones now. Kristen is in Anchor Point. Hello. Hello. Thank you for letting me on. Yes. I was just wondering, you had that case in Michigan where the school officials had the warning signs and they attempted to remove the child from school, but the parents wouldn't allow it. They just, oh, no, not our child, or whatever the scenario was going on then in their head. And the school just did not seem, or the school district did not seem to have the power to just say, no, your child, I think, is dangerous, and we want to expel him or suspend him from school for a while while he gets some help. And the parents said, no, 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 so they couldn't do that. And then the next day he came back and... You know, the parents went out, got him a gun, and he came back the next day and shot some some people, some kids. So, I mean, what is the situation when you're dealing with parents that just say, no, not my child, no way, uh, I'll get my, my lawyer on the phone, and you run into that. Does the school districts really have the ability to say, no, your child is troubled, and he really cannot come into this building anymore until some kind of medical help is given. Well, thank you. That's a, an excellent question. Uh, and um, Ashley, how, what, how much authority do the schools have in that regard? Um, yep, that is a great question. And I actually um, talked a bit about this in my presentation after the Oxford shooting because there were really some big takeaways for school districts after that event. Um, we've talked a little bit about them today. Tom has talked about the threat assessments um, at ASD. We call them student safety assessments, um, but it is essentially a risk assessment um, of some students' behavior and where they fall on that risk level. Um, the other big takeaway from Oxford was um, relaying to our staff and retraining them on, on a few things, one of those being the student safety assessments, another one being student searches. Um, how to search their things and the authority that our schools have to search them um, in Oxford. If they had searched his backpack after they found the concerning drawings, um, they would have found the weapon. It would have been stopped at that point. Um, another tool at our school's um, disposal is emergency suspensions. They have the authority to suspend a student for 24 hours, um, which in this event may have been enough time, uh, one, to remove him from the school, and two, for the staff to do another assessment on him um, after his second round of concerning drawings to see if that uh, risk level had increased. Um, you can extend that suspension, um, but yeah, we did incorporate a little bit more training and knowledge after the Oxford um, event, really based off of what happened there. There were several points that I believe this could have been caught at, um, and it wasn't. And so we're doing all we can to avoid a repeat of something like that happening here. Well, that's very good to know. We're going to take another quick break. When we come back, we'll continue our discussion on keeping students and staff safe in schools as Talk of Alaska continues. 
Talk of Alaska is brought to you in part by your local public radio station. People who smoke or have smoking-related conditions like lung and heart disease are more likely to get seriously ill from COVID-19. Not using any tobacco or e-cigarette products is one of the best ways to keep your immune system strong, ready to fight all kinds of viruses. If you decide to quit, help is available. Call Alaska's Tobacco Quit Line at 1-800-QUIT-NOW or text READY to 200-400 to get the support you need to quit for good. This message sponsored by Alaska's Tobacco Quit Line. Are you ready to start accelerating your child's future through education? The Alaska Native Science and Engineering Program is expanding its reach with new opportunities in Juneau and Southeast Alaska. With ANSEP's Acceleration Academy, high school students can earn college credit, save thousands of dollars in college costs, and experience fun, hands-on learning. ANSEP, it's a better way to learn. Learn more and enroll at ansep.net slash acceleration. This message sponsored by ANSEP. Welcome back to Talk of Alaska. We had an email question, uh, one that I actually thought about but kind of hesitated to ask because uh, I'm concerned about this as well. This is a question asking about school buses as a vulnerable point. And the question is, are any measures being taken to secure student transportation? Ashley or Rob, what, what can you tell us about um, when students are coming and going to school on buses? Um, yeah, Rob may be able to talk more about maybe some of the physical security stuff, um, but my coordinator, Steve Brown, um, he goes out and conducts um, ALICE training specifically for bus drivers, um, and that's just really the whole point of ALICE is to empower people to make the decision that is best for them at the time. Um, we don't really direct people um, in terms of telling them what to do based on a situation. Um, so he'll go out with the bus drivers and um, give them kind of a more bus specific training. Um, there's also a bus driver video um, training as part of uh, the Alice network as well. Um, so we do provide that to our staff. Rob, did you want to add anything there? Yeah, well, really, Ashley summed that up completely. I would just add that, you know, think of buses as kind of a, of a mobile security unit. One thing a bus driver can do uh, with kiddos on board is, is get the bus out of the area <laughs> as quickly as need be. Um, if, if an event that they're monitoring looks like it's, it's suspicious enough or, or um, um, is heightened, uh, some, some, some behavior outside of the bus. So uh, they also would not be letting anyone onto the bus um, that does not belong on the bus specifically. And many of the buses also have a bus attendant who helps with student issues. And Tom, does CISA think about those kind of vulnerabilities um, uh, in the transportation routes? Well, as Rob alluded to, the, 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 the bus, when it, it's got students on it, is basically an extension of the school. So some of those methodologies that are used to identify a, 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 a possible you know, person of concern can also be done on, on, the, uh, on board of the school bus by the driver or the attendant. I think the important thing here is, again, for the school to kind of have an established plan so that the bus driver and the attendant know how that can be reported. What they're seeing on the bus may be exactly what a, a teacher is seeing in the classroom or someone is seeing you know, off campus so that it can be rolled into that larger uh, assessment to, to see where it, if and where the person is on that pathway to violence and, and 
look at different options to kind of disrupt it. But what happens on the bus needs to be reported and included with what's happening in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Rob, talk a little about how technology has changed for school security systems. And and do you work with or consult with rural districts on um, how they're dealing with safety? Yeah, so technology, fortunately, uh, has given us a lot of options that we didn't have before. Uh, Speaking just about video surveillance, uh, I mentioned earlier in this broadcast that one of the things we're doing is continuing to upgrade cameras, which were the older platform of analog um, cameras are all now going to high, um, high density uh, that, that operate just as well at night as they do during the day. That gives us so much more opportunity to, to get down to detail and identify uh, situations that need to be followed up on in schools. And then the technology that we used in our secure vestibules. Um, as we upgrade those schools, you did ask a question earlier, it was part of a two-part question about like door alarms. We th- Those vestibule upgrades do include door alarms, for instance, that can alert staff if a door is left open, okay? So that technology is, is just helping a lot. And it, in, in terms of collaboration with other school districts, I think we're going to see a lot more of that. We've done some of that on other issues. Uh, we did some collaboration like during the pandemic on, on disinfection and availability of products and sharing resources, et cetera. So it's a logical ex- you know, extension to, to say that, that we would look forward to any of that type of collaboration. Yeah. All right. Um, and I can add a yeah. few things there if that's okay. Please do. Um, for our cameras as, as well, um, APD Dispatch has access to all of our cameras. Um, and for schools that are on keyless entry, our access control, we're working on giving dispatch access to that as well. So they can remotely unlock the building um, as APD is, is getting to the school. Um, and as Rob mentioned on the secure vestibules, those doors have alarm sensors um, and every door that's outfitted with access control actually has that alarm sensor. So if the door is propped open for more than 30 seconds, um, an audible um, alarm starts to go off. And our capital planning and construction department, um, they're the ones who create all of our standards for all of our buildings. And they're currently looking at how to add um, those alarm sensors to not just every door, even if it's not tied into our access control system, um, but also to our windows. Um, and that's twofold. One, security reasons. If it's left open at a floor level during the day, we don't want people getting into the school. Um, but two, it also helps to really cut down a lot on utility costs. So there's also a cost savings there as well. You, uh, Ashley, had mentioned Alice trainings uh, earlier. What what exactly is an Alice drill and training? And how do you, we only have a few minutes left here, but how what is the training for students about what they should do if there is an alarm of concern? Sure. Um, so we do an online training at the beginning of the year for all staff. Every, every ASD staff member receives that video training. And then we do four drills a year, which um, that is when the student involvement um, comes in. And as I mentioned earlier, um, it's really about empowering um, both staff and students to make the decision that works best for them in that situation. Um, Other people may be more familiar with it as, um, which is what the federal government uses, run, hide, fight. 
Um, and that's essentially the, the basis of it. It's in this situation, based on what's going on, is it best for me right now to try to evacuate? Maybe it's best for me to um, lock myself in a room and barricade it and uh, really just try to slow the event down. And then in a worst case scenario, um, it's trying to um, distract, right? Throw something at uh, someone who may be trying to do harm. They're also in a heightened state. They have tunnel vision. Um, if you just disrupt them for a second, it can really go a long way in, in uh, really stopping the situation from, from starting. Um, so we really do try to empower the students to make the best decision. Um, and in Uvalde, I read an interview with a student who um, before any uh, security was announced like the lockdown or the active shooter event, she went over and she turned off her classroom uh, light. She knew something was going on and because they trained on it, she knew that that was the first step that they take. They turn off the light. Um, so that was encouraging to see as well. Even at such a young age, she knew exactly what to do and she, and she did it. Tom, uh, we had an email question from Ketchikan, um, someone who was an educator in rural Alaska for 10 years and writes, they were always concerned with instructions for school shootings, hunker in place and wait for police when police are days away in, in those cases. What, what, uh, how should those, those guidances shift for communities that have no local law enforcement? Yeah, as I mentioned, it, it is a, uh, a significant challenge in areas that, that don't have first responders, that don't have local law enforcement. And again, that's where the, the community, it has to be dealt with at a, at a community level. It needs to be the, the community leadership, the tribal council, the VPSO, the school administrator discussing how would we, we respond to and stop a, a situation like this if it happens in our community. The, the fortunate thing with a lot of our, our smaller communities is they, they're, they're, they have so much more community integration to where they can recognize somebody on that pathway to violence uh, a lot of times a lot sooner and a lot better than, than in, in larger uh, communities. And so they can disrupt it before it ever gets to that point. But we recommend that as the school is developing their emergency action plan, they really sit down and, and discuss, okay, what would we do? Um, how can we... How can we stop something if it, if it happens here? What would we be able to do with the, the, the person afterwards? What kind of assistance are we going to need to immediately call for uh, from the state and from federal sources? Mm -hmm. And Ashley, in about 30 seconds, what do you want? This isn't a school problem. What do you want community members to do to help? Um, you know, I really just want people to be talking to their students um, I really believe that one of the biggest things we can do as a community is create an environment um, where students feel safe. Um, they feel that they have adults that they can trust and speak to. Um, so really, as Tom has mentioned, we can um, catch these students at the very beginning of that pathway to violence and until waiting, um, instead of waiting until something bad happens or mm -hmm. they even just escalate a little bit. Um, if, if we as a community can wrap our, our arms around um, children and let them know that um, that we're here and we trust them and they trust us. I think that Everybody that will, will go be safer. a really long way. Thank you so much to my guests today, uh, our engineer, Tobin Shelby, uh, on the phones, Laura Fillion, and our producer today was Wesley Early. I'm Lori Townsend. We'll be back next week. 
Talk of Alaska is a production of Alaska Public Media, which is solely responsible for its content. Views expressed are those of the participants and not necessarily those of Alaska Public Media, this station, or its underwriters. Today's program is available online at alaskapublic.org. This is Alaska Public Media.